Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Hallelujah. It's good to see everybody this morning in the Lord's house. What a privilege I have today to stand before you. This isn't my text, but I felt the Lord laid this on my heart. How many of you like good things? How many of you like bad things? How many of you aren't going to raise your hand no matter what I ask? I think most of us would agree that we like good things. Well, Scripture tells us in Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to his name almost high, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. The Lord laid that on my heart when we were in worship, and I just, I just want to encourage you right now. Thank the Lord right now. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Come on, lift your hands all across this place. Begin to lift your voice all across this place. Begin to declare his goodness, his mercy, his everlasting favor, his merciful kindness that he pours out upon us. Oh, Lord, we give you praise, Lord. We thank you, God. Your word declares it's good that we should praise you, Lord. And so, Father, we do that this morning, Lord. We lift up our voice. We take time this morning, Lord God, to acknowledge that you are good. Your ways are good. Your, your word is good, Lord God. Everything that you have is good, and you long to give it to your children today. So, Father, we praise you, and we bless your name. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Take your Bibles real quick and turn to two passages of Scripture. The first is found in the Old Testament, the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, and then the second will be Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'll read Micah 6, 8 in just a moment. I'll give you time to uh, find it. For those of you that are visiting or guests here with us today, we're so happy to have you. Uh, as Pastor Karen said, my name is Minister Barry Haggerty. My wife, Minister Jan, and I uh, serve here at King's Chapel. Uh, we've been serving in, in ministry and serving the Lord uh, actually, the Lord called me into the ministry when I was 16, and I preached my first message when I was 17. I'm now 54, uh, so uh, I've been preaching and serving the Lord and, and ministering, uh, and Jan and I have been married 34 years, and we've been serving together all of, the, all of that time, and one of the things that we do uh, here is we direct the King School of Ministry, and uh, if you're not familiar with that, if you've never heard us talk about it, uh, there's a display um, out in the foyer that you can check out after service. Uh, but uh, we are excited about uh, this fall semester. We're going to double in size uh, this fall semester. And uh, we're so thankful that all that God is doing. And so you can check out, uh, you can also go to the website, our kcalaska.com website. There's information about our ministry school there as well. All right, everybody, everybody in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, reading from the New International Version. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, also from the New International Version. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Come on, let's pray again for the word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for your word today. Lord, I declare your goodness again, and I thank you that your word is true. Your word is alive. Your word is able, Father, to bring change into our life. And so, Lord, today, as we, as we look into your word, Father, as we've read your word and your word is declared, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and have your way. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be released to minister to your people today and cause the word of God to become alive in us. And we give you thanks, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my message, if you're looking to, to have a title, and I don't have notes, I thought about it, but I don't do it as well as Pastor Daniel, and I didn't want it to be a source of frustration for the people that, that take his messages and put them in the note form, or for our media department to try to figure out and keep up, and, and if I get off notes, so I just thought, you know, it'll be okay. But if you're looking to title my message this morning, the title is, What Are We Doing? What Are We Doing? And we're going to talk about that. Because I want you to understand that how we are living now determines where we will be after death. It really does matter every choice we make. Even if we choose to not make a choice, guess what? You just made a choice because you chose to not make one. And every choice matters. Choice is what we choose to do. They set things in motion when we choose to do them or we choose to not do them. So how we are living our life now determines where we will be after we die. We'll either be in heaven with God our heavenly Father if we lived in obedience to his word or we'll be in hell with Satan and all of his demons if we did not live in obedience to God's word and righteousness. Right. How many of you are glad you came to church this morning? Amen. Amen. I'm going to talk to you this morning about some things that the Word of God is very clear on. And my goal is, if I do my job and the Holy Spirit is allowed to do His job, is that we're going to be impacted by the truth of God's Word. And it's going to cause us to walk a little closer to Him and look a little bit more like Him and serve Him a little bit better and display the love of Jesus and the glory of God through our lives in a greater way than we ever have before. So are you ready? All right. If we want to be assured that we're going to live forever in heaven with, with the Lord, then there has to be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in our life. The Bible tells us that. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled, and we'll be filled with the righteousness, the kind of life, the kinds of things we need from the Lord that help us to conform to the Lord's pattern of living and how he wants us to live. So that begs the question, what are we doing? If everything that we do, every choice we make, the way we live our lives now, if it determines what happens to us after we die, what are we doing? Or actually, a better way to put, put it maybe is, what are we supposed to be doing? Now, I read, read to you this morning from uh, the book of Micah. Micah was a prophet. How many of you have ever read, and you don't have to raise your hand, it's just a rhetorical question. How many of you have ever read the book of Micah? and some of, the old, some of the Old Testament prophets. There's lots of things that are contained in there that are truths that because all of God's word is, is living and alive and able to accomplish everything God's preserved it for. There's a reason why God preserved his word for us. It's so we could know his heart. There's a reason why God preserved his word for us so that we could know the way that we're supposed to walk and live and not try to do life all on our own, trying to figure it out, wandering around, wondering what's going on. What are we supposed to do next? God has given us his word. And he's given us his instruction. And even in a small book like the book of Micah, 
Now, we have our own minister, Micah, here, who's such a blessing to the house. Amen. But Micah was a blessing in many ways, and he was also a problem in many ways because Micah was a prophet, and prophets weren't always liked. Because prophets spoke what God gave them to speak. They were the mouthpiece of God. And many times it was to speak judgment and proclaim judgment and condemnation upon the nation of Israel because they didn't listen. Why were there so many prophets that needed to be raised up? Because Israel didn't listen to the last one. So God had to raise somebody else up. And he raised Micah up as a prophet. Micah was a prophet from God to the people of Israel and to the nation of Israel. And he, he prophesied and spoke to them uh, somewhere between the, the, the time period of 737 to 696 B.C. Now, his messages were directed mainly towards Jerusalem. As, as Pastor Karen was saying in her, her offering teaching, that the kingdom had been divided, the ten northern tribes, the two southern tribes. And, the, and many times the prophets that you read in the Bible, many of them were working together at the same time. Some prophesying and ministering to the northern kingdom and some prophesying to the southern kingdom. And Micah predominantly spoke to Jerusalem. He was the first prophet in Scripture to predict the downfall of Jerusalem. According to what God told him to tell the people of Jerusalem, the city was doomed because they, they, they were corrupt in their finances. They were doing all of these things to make the city look better, to make their houses look better, to make the, the, the square and everything look better. And they were doing it by ripping the people off and, and, and had corrupt financial practices. And Micah said, because of what you're doing, it's not right. You're causing the people to suffer. And he was talking to the leaders. He was talking to the king and those in positions of authority. Because of that, the city's doomed. Judgment is coming. He also called into account false prophets of that day who, uh, who were accused of accepting money to give words of prophecy to people. So there was a, it was a real corrupt time in the nation of Israel and, and in Jerusalem specifically. He warned people on behalf of God of the pending destruction. And that takes us to the verse that we read. Why is this simple verse in Scripture so very profound and so very important? Well, let me tell you. Number one, everything we need to live according to the will of God has been handed over to us by his word. We don't have to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? He's given it to us plainly. He's shown us right here. And he used Micah. The people, the people that Micah was prophesying to were accusing God of things. And they were saying, God is forsaken. And we're doing this on our own. And it was kind of like a courtroom setting. And Micah was kind of like the, the defense attorney for God. And he said, no, no, hang on just a second, mortals. Now, some translations say he's told you, oh, man. But I love the NIV. It says, you know, has he not told you, oh, mortal? Let's, let's, get, let's establish something real quick. God's up here. We're down here. You really can't question God. You really can't bring accusations against God because remember, he's God and you're not. So mortal, what has he told you he needs you to do, he wants you to do? And he summed it up in very three, three simple phrases. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. So everything that we need to know on how to fulfill the will of God, to walk before God, to please God, to honor him is found in his word. Secondly, all we need is to access this word and allow it to take place and to be planted in our heart and to be activated in us and live in obedience to it. And then we'll know how we're supposed to live and we'll begin to see those blessings. And thirdly, God has a standard and he cannot compromise it. God has a standard and he will not compromise it. So what is that standard? 
What is Micah describing here in this, in this passage of Micah 6, 8? In a word, holiness. In a word, holiness. Now, Dr. Morocco preached a, a phenomenal word last Sunday. If you, haven't, if you weren't here and you haven't watched that message yet, you need to on, on defilement and how we can be defiled and what we need to do to not be defiled. And if we get defiled, how to get undefiled. And I felt like the Lord laid upon my heart when, when Pastor Daniel uh, asked me if I could minister uh, this Sunday because he was going to be gone. I felt the Lord laid on my heart, and I shared with him. In fact, he's got my outline. I, I sent it to him before he left. And I said, uh, and I know because he's watching because he texted me before service. And uh, so I'm going to make sure I'll stick to my outline, brother. Um, but it's it, holiness. That's what Micah's talking about here. What is holiness? If you're taking notes, number one, what is holiness? Let me let me. Let you in on something. God has called every Christian to live a holy life. Every Christian, every believer, every person who claims the name of Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us in, in, in Exodus, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And, you know, one of, the, one of the first ones says, you know, that we're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. And many of us, many times we associate that with adding expletives to God's, giving him a last name. You know, or, or using his name in a, in a curse word. Can I propose to you that sometimes taking the Lord's name in vain is calling him Lord and Savior when he's really not? Declaring that he's the Lord of your life, that he's the God that saved you, he's a good, good father that you love and you've surrendered yourself to him when you actuality haven't? That might also be taking the Lord's name in vain. I just offer that to you. Because God's called every believer to lead a holy life Holiness, the word holiness signifies a separation to God and the conduct befitting those so separated. In other words, to live a holy life is to live a life of obedience to God's word and to live in contrast to the sinful ways of this world. In a nutshell, let me boil it down like this. If we claim to be the followers of Jesus Christ, if we claim to, to have accepted him as our Lord and Savior and surrendered and are given our lives to him, we should look more like him than we do like, than we do like those, thank you, Lord, than we do like those that have not surrendered to him. One of the reasons why it's so hard sometimes for people to be willing to accept our message, and I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about the church universal. One of the reasons it's so hard for people to accept the message of the church sometimes is they don't see a whole lot of difference between us and them. In fact, actually, what they see is we look and act and say and do and conduct ourselves just like them, but also we add a whole bunch of list of, of uh, religious things that we got to do, and they're like, what's the point? Why do I need to add all those religious things? If you're going to talk like I talk, if you're going to act like I act, you're going to go where I go, you're, I, I'm preaching now. Can I tell you there are some places Christians should not go? There are some things believers should not do. If you need to unplug it, unplug it. If you need to, to disconnect it, disconnect it. I've said it before, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me, say it again. If you've got a smartphone and it's causing you to sin, because can I tell you what's done in secret will come to light? If you've got a smartphone and it's causing you to sin, get a dumb phone. Better to go to heaven with a dumb phone than to go to hell with a smartphone that you couldn't put down and put away. Because God has called us to a life of holiness. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7 says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness 
and honor. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, to put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Can I tell you, holiness is something that God is calling us to. It's something that he declares that we need to be holy because he's holy. Now, some might be saying, well, now, Minister Barry, that's an impossibility. He's God. Of course he's holy. How can I be holy? Can I tell you that if we don't ever aim for what God has called us to do, we'll never come close to hitting it? We can sit back and say, I can't do it. It's impossible. Why should I even try? And guess what? If you have that attitude, you never will obtain it. But if our attitude is, Lord, I need you declaring me to be holy, you're calling me to be holy, Micah is telling us in his word that we just need to do what's right. Just do what's right. And Lord, if I try to do what's right, you're going to help me do what's right. You're going to empower me to do what's right. You're going to help me to not sin. Point number two, holiness is not an option. Holiness is not an option. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, I asked my students, I said, somebody explain this verse, and I got two responses, and I think both of them are really good. One one of my students responded, well, if we aren't holy, then we're not showing the world the Lord. And I said, that's exactly right. And the other said, but but also if we aren't holy, we won't see God and we won't get to heaven. And I said, you're right on both accounts. I think that's what, what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If we as his church, the blood-bought, redeemed, those that have been saved from our sins, translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, if we don't act holy, if we don't show that there's a difference, if we don't show that God really can take a life and transform it and change it and turn it upside down and make us righteous in the eyes of the Lord, if we don't show that to the world, how are they ever going to know what they can, what they can have? And if we don't live in holiness, we're not guaranteed that we're going to see the Lord. See, this this thing of what God gives us in his word, it's kind of like a road map with God's word clearly spelling out the fact that holiness is not an option. We have a problem, church. We aren't good enough on our own. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Now, if that's all Scripture said, woe is us. We'd be left really, really messed up. Yet God chose not to leave us that way. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. God says there is a problem. It's called sin. But you don't have to try to figure out the sin problem on your own. I'm going to figure it out for you. I'm going to offer you salvation. It's a gift by grace. You didn't deserve it. Anything less than hell is more than we deserve. And yet the word of God tells us that God fixed the sin problem by sending his son Jesus. God chose to save us from ourselves by sending Jesus so that we could be saved. Romans 5, 19. For as by the one man... Referring to Adam, by his disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the one man, Jesus, his obedience, many will be made righteous. 
1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So church, holiness is not an option. And to continue to live in sin as a Christian is to go contrary to God's very purpose for our salvation. I appreciate the amens. I really, really do. Holiness is, although holiness is not necessary as a condition for our salvation, what I mean by that is we don't have to get holy before we get saved. Because if we had to get holy before we got saved, none of us would be saved. The Bible tells us and the Spirit of God convicts us that we come to the Lord just as we are. But he doesn't want us to stay that way. Just because we come to the Lord broken, busted, disgusted, messed up, full of sin, full of pride, full of all kind of stuff that that is going to take us to hell. Just because we come to God that way, and that's how we come to him, just as we are. He 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 saved us so that we didn't stay that way. He saved us so that we would be made new. We would become a new creature. Behold, the old has passed, the new has come, the word of God tells us. The Holy Spirit who creates within us a saving faith. Because that's his job. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. And when the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, he places within them the ability to have a faith that says, I can believe that I can be saved because I've now heard the gospel message. I now understand what God has done for me. I now understand the love that God shed abroad in our hearts by, the, by Jesus Christ. When we, were yet with, when we were yet enemies, God demonstrates his love towards us, the word of God says. And the same Holy Spirit that creates saving faith in us will also create within us a desire for holiness if we will allow him to. He does not create one without the other. The Holy Spirit doesn't create salvation faith without also then once we're saved creating a desire to live a holy life. So how are we going to do that? Number three, a change of kingdoms. Many Christians have a basic desire to live a holy life but have come to believe that they simply cannot do it. To begin with, church, we need to realize that God has already made provision for us to live a holy life. And he has also given us responsibilities as well. In other words, it's it's a partnership, if you will. There are things that only God can do, and he doesn't ask those things of us. He does the things that have made the provision for us to live a holy life. He offers us forgiveness of our sins. And when he forgives us of our sins, he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. Let me throw something out. Oh, by the way, those of you that want to step out of the the service and go to the Discover track upstairs, you can. If you're like, man, I don't want to, like, man, that's my out to get out of this message, go right ahead. If those are like, man, I don't want to miss this message, you can come back at 11 because I'll be preaching again. But let me, let, me, let me talk about what God has forgiven us from in our past real quick. I shared with our, our students this past Thursday a, a message that I heard. And, and in this message, this brother said, those of you that cannot forget your past are not necessary for your future. God doesn't view us by our past unless we continue to live in our past. God doesn't view us by our past sins when we ask for forgiveness. When we ask for forgiveness, he declares us forgiven case closed it's not there anymore when we go back to him and say lord i need you to forgive me for that thing he says forgive you for what god chooses to have uh, god amnesia if you will unless we pick that sin back up unless we return to it again unless we go back to it again and if we do that then it's not really in our past it's still in our present 
But God has forgiven us of our past. He's made a way for us to live a holy life. Romans 6.12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey evil desires. That's our responsibility. God dealt with sin. Sin's forgiven. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus lived that out and did that through obedience and death on the cross and being buried and raised again. So the problem of sin has been taken care of. The issue then becomes what we do once we know that and that's been established. And Paul says, man, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. It's clearly our responsibility to establish as part of our will to not let sin have control in our lives. Amen. I, heard a, I heard a message by my, my, the pastor that I grew up under. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and I, I grew up in Ridgeway Assembly of God Church. Wesley Payne was the pastor. Pastor Payne's still alive. Um, I haven't talked to him in a few years, but, but I know that he's still alive. And uh, he preached a message one time entitled, Satan Can't and God Won't. And the point of what he was saying is Satan can't make you do anything. He can't make me do anything. There, he has no power and ability to make you and I sin. He throws the temptations out. In fact, as I've said to our, Bible, to our ministry school students many times, God and the devil are not on the same level. And many times we confuse that. God is so far above. Satan is a created being. And that doesn't mean he's not powerful, but he is not all-powerful. It, it, it doesn't mean he doesn't know some stuff, but he is not all-knowing. And it doesn't mean he can't show up and cause problems, but he is not omnipresent. So the only way the enemy knows when he's being effective in us, when he throws out temptation, is how we respond to that temptation. And Paul's telling us, don't. Don't respond to that temptation. Don't let that sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it cause you to obey what you're being tempted to do. You can live differently. You can live separate. You can live full of the power of the Holy Spirit and be an overcomer every single moment of your life. Hallelujah. The Word of God goes on to say, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right. Now here's an interesting concept that I don't know if, if a lot of believers think about. Do you know it's God's will for you to not commit a sin? It absolutely is. Oh, I can't ever do that. I'm, I'm only human. Can I offer to you this morning that when we act sinful, when we, when, we obey te- when we follow after temptation and obey those temptations and commit sin and fall into sin, we're being less than human? Here's why I say that. When God created the heavens and earth and he created Adam and Eve, formed, formed Adam out of the dust of the, of the ground and breathed air into him and formed Eve out of Adam's rib, what were they? Human. They were human. They lived in a perfect, sinless garden, heaven on earth, fellowship with God, but they were human. When they sinned, what were they? Humans who sinned and became less than what God created them to be. So when you and I commit sin, when we follow after temptation, when we give in to that temptation and sin, we can't look at God and say, God, you know I'm only human because we're actually acting less than human. We're acting less, we're behaving less, we're conducting our lives less than the way God intended for us and the way he created us. Romans 6.12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that that you should obey it in its lust. You know, it's interesting. I'm so thankful this Memorial Day weekend. I'm so thankful for all that that has been done for our nation. My, my father was in the military. He was in the Navy. 
My stepfather served both in World War II and the Korean War in the Army. We've, we've honored and want to continue to honor all of you uh, today that have served or are currently serving. But I never been, I've never served in the military, but I know a little bit about it. And, and what I would offer to you this morning is if you were to join the military and they're going to teach you how to fight, they're going to teach you how to conduct yourself in battle, they're going to give you strategies for victory, they're going to, they're going to do all these things, they're going to train you, they're not going to give you a contingency of how to, own, how to get hurt a little, how to get shot a little, how to uh, win most of the time, but sometimes you might lose, and if you do, here's some contingencies for that. They don't teach you that, they teach you how to win. They teach you and train you what you need to know to how to operate in any circumstance. They try to recreate as many scenarios of combat and battle as they can so that you are equipped, fully equipped as a soldier in whatever branch of the army that, and your mindset is not, well, we're going to go out to battle and I hope I only get shot a little bit. We're gonna, I'm going to go out to battle today and I hope I come back with, with, if I come back with three appendages instead of four, it'll be a good day. That's not how they train you. Can I tell you that we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, many times we operate with, well, I just won't sin very much. Oh, don't get quiet on me now, please. I'll only sin a little bit. If I don't sin as much today as I did yesterday, it's a good day. And yet John, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I just read it to you from the, the epistle of 1 John. God, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin. We need to change our mindset. We need to change our mindset that sinning is just something we do and God's offered us forgiveness so it's okay. It's not okay. He has offered us forgiveness, but not so that we would continue to live in sin. Paul said it. Should we continue in sin because grace abounds? No. It's because of God's grace. It's because of what God has done that we need to realize I need to stop sinning. Number four, there's help in the daily battle. Boy, I got to hurry. To live up to God's standard of holiness, it's a spiritual battle. Because the enemy doesn't want us. He knows. Listen, there are, there's a difference between good things and God things. Good things are things that are good, but they have no eternal value. And if the enemy can get us wasting our time, well, if it's a good thing, why is it a waste of our time? We need to be going after things of eternal value. Yes, we need to feed the hungry. Yes, we need to clothe the naked. Yes, we need to give water to those that are thirsty. Yes, we need to get people that are in poverty out of poverty. We need to do all of those good things. But if that's all we do and we don't give them eternal things, that they can be saved, that in spite of their circumstances, in spite of what's happened to them, their soul can be saved and delivered and set free from sin and they can have heaven as their home that's an eternal thing and too many times we get caught all caught up in the good things and nobody hears the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ which includes what I'm preaching this morning that there's a holy lifestyle that we're called to live there's a lifestyle that God expects us to live and to do but he helps us in that battle he helps us the help is the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Spirit of God. We are indwelled by the Spirit of God. He comes and takes up residence in us. And when we face temptation, he's the one that's standing there saying, you don't have to give in. Don't listen to it. You know what's right. Do what's right. He'll, he'll, after today, he'll remind you of Micah 6, 8. Come on, just do what's right. Just do what's right. Just do it. Nike may corner, have cornered the market on it, but they didn't come up with it. God did. Just do it. Just do what's right. 
The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our medic, if you will. Because guess what? You can be militarily trained to never lose a battle, and you can go into battle, and something might happen that was beyond your control, and you might get hit. And when you do, you don't just lie there and say, well, I got hit. I guess it's over. Man, you cry out, medic! And the medic shows up, and he begins to take care of that wound. He begins to bind up those bruises, those wounds. He begins to apply what's needed. He triages the situation so that he can determine what needs to be taken care of. That's the Holy Spirit for us. Because the Bible also says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's spiritually you and I crying, Holy Spirit, medic! But we have to be willing to do that. Our God is a very present help in time of trouble. In our daily battle to do justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with our God, we have to know and trust that we aren't out there on our own. That he is with us every step of the way. Therefore, to live by the Spirit is to live both in obedience to and dependence upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Write this in your notes because we don't have time to turn there. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14, look those up. It talks about the the word of God, the steadfastness of God, the truth of his declarations, the power of that. Psalm 19, 7 through 14. Lastly, this morning, I want to point out to you that we need to seek obedience over victory. We need to seek obedience and live in obedience rather than try to live in victory. Because if we live in obedience, we'll have victory. But if we're seeking victory, God, I need victory over this. God, and we get the victory. Oh, I got the victory. I got the victory. I got It's all about us. Obedience is all about him. Following after him. Denying ourselves. Denying the things of this world. Trusting and knowing that he's got something so much greater than anything this world has to offer. It's time for us as Christians to face up to our responsibility for holiness. This might not be my most popular message that I preach, but it's the truth. It's the truth. It's time that we face up to our responsibility for holiness. Can I get on a soapbox just real quick? Listen, I am not sitting in judgment. I have to repent daily. Repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is freedom. Repentance frees you from the effects of that sin that you might commit. Repentance frees you from that mistake that you just made. Man, I have to repent daily. And I hope you do if you need to. But it's time we as Christians realize, listen, we don't have to sound like the world to influence the world. We don't have to look like the world to reach them. We don't have to conduct ourselves. You know, I, it, just, it just blows my mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there, Holy Spirit. It just blows my mind. We have tools on the Internet. We have things on our smartphone or online that tell us what's in movies. We have some sites plugged in, which is done by Focus on the Family, is a great site. There's other sites, man, they'll break it down and tell you how many F-bombs are dropped in the movie, how many scenes of sexuality are dropped, how many, and it blows my mind on Facebook, Christians say, man, I went and saw, believers that I know, I went and saw this movie, and I couldn't believe, man, I didn't think I could sit all the way through it because of all the stuff in it. 
I'll leave that alone right there because I think you guys are getting my point. It's time we raise the standard. It's time we step up to what God has called us to. It's time that we walk different than the rest of the world. It's time that they see a marked difference in us. Because you know what? The world has been trying to figure out. I mean, the church has been trying too long to figure out what to do with the world and what to do about the world. I think it's time the church rises up and does what they're supposed to do and let the world figure out what they're going to do with us. And the only way that's going to happen is if you and I determine that we're going to live a holy life. That we're going to seek to obey him. And as we seek to obey him in every area of our life, he will give us the victory. Amen? Too often we say we are defeated by this sin or that sin. The fact is, we're not really defeated. We're simply disobedient. That's tweetable. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That means I can overcome that. Oh, but you don't understand. Listen, if things are a stronghold, it, it, it doesn't come. Jesus said, these kind of things don't come out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus understood and didn't deny that some things are harder to deal with and overcome than others. But it doesn't mean they can't be overcome. We can do this. We can do what Micah is saying. We can be what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are the workmanship of God, created for good things. We can live our lives that way. But can I tell you this morning, I'll offer to you as I get ready to close, Brother Toby, if you'll come back, if we sin, it's because we choose to sin. Not because we lack the ability, the power, the strength, the resources to say no to temptation. Now, there's a difference between, many differences between us and the world. Sinners do what sinners do because they're sinners and they haven't been saved yet. Don't be shocked that sinners are doing what they're doing. Pray that they get saved. Pray that their eyes get open. Pray that their ears are open and they hear the gospel message. But if we as believers who've accepted Jesus, we bowed our knee, we've repented, he's accepted our repentance and he's offered us forgiveness. If we sin, it's because we choose to. And I'm preaching to myself. I'm not standing in judgment. I'm making a declaration. That there's a difference that we should live. We must be persuaded that a holy life is God's will for every one of us. The world around us will seek to constantly conform us to its value system. Paul tells us that. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind that comes from the word of God and the spirit of God. We're bombarded on every side by temptation and to indulge our sinful nature. But obedience to the word of God, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice above all else is the, is the pathway to holiness. There is no point in praying for victory over temptation if we're not willing to make a commitment to say no to it. So what are we doing, church? Micah tells us what we're supposed to be doing is do justly, just do it. Just choose to live right. Make the choice and then allow the Holy Spirit to work in partnership with us to overcome sin and temptation. He won't do it if we don't give him opportunity and allow him to. We have to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. But once we give him the opportunity to, he will do that. Amen. Secondly, Micah tells us, and I didn't even really touch on it, but it's all part of the, it's all part of the being holy. Love mercy. We've been forgiven. So we should forgive. I know there are some people that we know that seem unlovable, yet we cannot withhold from any person what Jesus paid with his life on the cross to give us a chance to be forgiven, both by God and by, our, by us. 
And as you probably heard before, if you, if you walk in unforgiveness with someone, you're the one in prison, not them. And thirdly, walk humbly before your God. Pride will keep us from so many things. Pride was what entered Lucifer's heart and caused his rebellion. And it was pride that paved the way for Adam and Eve to fall. To aim for God's standard of holiness means that we will walk humbly before God and before people. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.